Today on the Bluegrass Podcast, we're going to be talking to Brian Applegarth, a part of Cultivar Brands who collaborated with the California State Fair this year and SC Labs to create the first Cannabis State Fair Awards, as well as helping to craft the Cannabis Trail in California. Today, we're going to be talking about tourism, cannabis effect pairing, and more. Thanks for stopping by and welcome to the Bluegrass Podcast. She said, now I'm a red-headed galactic installation portal revolving around the sun. I know I'm here and that means love everyone. I can, very clear. How you been? Good. How are you doing? Oh, great, man. No complaints. Just juggling life like everybody, you know? And that's the way it feels. Hopefully some more legalization news this year, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping normalization continues. I mean, education is so paramount right now and just opening up new discussions and working on policy that, you know, uh, moves the needle forward and all of those things working together, I think are vital. So yeah, I hope so. That was actually how I got exposed to you. Oddly enough, we did the Gangier program together, but before that, when I worked as a bud tender in Illinois, I heard you on that podcast. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Cool. The one for Chicago. Exactly. But I mean, I also want to take a minute and see how you are. Like you just relocated to Humboldt stuff. Are you enjoying it? Like what's new in your world real quick? And then I'll go into the interview stuff and start sharing. Oh, for sure. Um, What's weird is I ended up moving out here like six or seven months ago. And I started doing apprenticing with Sunshine on her farm. So I had been out here on the farm and then I ended up joining Gangier in like January, end of that, beginning of February. So I've only been there for like a month and that was crazy out of the blue. Right on. What's the new training? Um, Just this year's uh, set of lab trainings. Like we've got the new campus. We've got the SAP app is coming out again. Like now that I'm kind of behind the scenes, there's all sorts of little projects working on that are really neat. So you, when we were emailing back and forth, you said you came and stayed at a hotel up here. I was curious about it just because I saw that it was like two minutes away from me. Um, I've stayed at a few places up there, um, friends cabins, and then that Benbow I often stay at. I've also stayed in Garberville, the Best Western, and there's a really cool place I like to stay up in Arcata that's called the Front Porch Inn. Mm-hmm. And it's got, dude, it's got like saunas and like soaking tubs and like re- a really cool, like little maze of like wellness. Um, and also Arcade is just cool. I like the downtown and, uh, just the scene out there. So, and then it's not far from Trinidad. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't so, realize how close together there were so many little spots, like before I moved out here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm still exploring Humboldt too, but it's got, it's, I mean, it's a big County, but it's got a lot of, I think, special regions, you know, in, in their own way. I do love Southern Humboldt. I'd say Shelter Cove is one of my favorite spots for sure. So yeah, man, I hope you really enjoy it. I, and also just the culture, which you're, we are, you're probably understanding more and more is like probably a deeper level than I do at this point, but the, 
I've always just loved the culture up there because it's really, I think in some ways it's really reflective of a culture that's had a close relationship with cannabis for decades mm-hmm. because, because the relationship with time and space and nature is all very unique for the people that live up there as well as in Mendo. And even where I live in Guerneville, it's kind of like that. It's a little bit more um, on a different pace than, than the rest of California, I feel. And a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And different values. You know, there's a couple, there's things that they value in a different way that I find really cool. And even the language, like the words, you know, there's definitely this really special culture that I think is, is, uh, is really an asset for California from a travel perspective to kind of tie this back to that. You know, it's one of the few places in California where I think you go and you feel this really amazing shift in, you know, the way that the, the sense of place exists and, and is, um, and once you start peeling the layers back of the community, it's really, it's really cool to see how many creative people there are people that work with wood or, you know, that have just, you know, or that, or that, or that have a work-life balance that is such a different algorithm than what most others do that are more plugged into these urban centers. So, and then of course, when you have the abundance of nature, it just, has a drastic shift, um, because of the, just the, the life that surrounds you. So, and the seasons are more prominent, all that stuff that, you know, it's really, I think all those things feed into why it's so special, including the cannabis. Oh yeah. I love the nature part of it. I love when I leave Fortuna, I go down and then I get on the one Oh one and I just drive through the redwoods on my way to like help out on the farm. And it's like, this is magical. I can do this. This is a commute I can do. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Like it's that mindset of, uh, existing in a quality of life that's sustainable instead Mm -hmm. of like working your ass off, hoping to reach another destination that's better in your mind. And I think that is also a signature of those communities of really, uh, making it a priority to, to have a quality of life. That's, that's good day in, day out. Um, so, oh, for sure. So, and not to, um, and yeah, so all that, well, congrats on moving out there and I'm glad you're enjoying it. I mean, and Fortuna is so well located centrally, so it's a good jump off point. Oh yeah. And it lets me keep helping out sunshine, which is a big thing for me, like in getting to take this job, it being remote, like, I'm really glad that I get to stay right here and that it's so close to the training too. I'm like, all right, this worked out. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah. I was lucky enough to visit her farm a few years ago and I love it for a lot of reasons. Um, just knowing sunshine, the brief time I met her and the, and how intentional she is with the way that she cultivates, but also the dry farming belt that she's in and that dry farming kind of, uh, craft is fascinating, I think. And I mean, obviously it's like uber sustainable and regenerative too, because you're like using the natural cycles to a whole nother level. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I appreciate all that from, and I think next door is at high water farms, I think. But I mean, anywhere around here, right? Like you go down the road and it's like one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I guess Get into part of the interview interview part. Sure. Um, would you like to tell people who you are? Because I, I feel like I've explained it poorly, maybe. Like who exactly you are. 
Yo, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Yeah. So my name is Brian Applegarth. I really dove head first or feet first or all of it first into um, cannabis travel. And really 2014 is when I made the decision to really embrace the idea of um, being one of many to help innovate the future of cannabis and hemp travel at that time, I was thinking in California, although I did have dreams of, you know, smoking a joint in other countries in beautiful settings in a cannabis lounge one day. But, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of, of helping to be part of the story of the new, the new era of normalized cannabis travel trends um, got me, got, kind of got me into it. And I was also at that time kind of disenchanted with um, this corporate job I was working in. So I was really at a transitional point and I jumped into cannabis in 2014, the first thing I did was go in and, and studied at Oaksterdam university in Oakland. Um, and then just started consuming a bunch of documentaries and really just, it was, it's been just a ride ever since I've met a lot of amazing people and, and pioneers and activists and cultivators and, and alchemists. And, um, and it's just a really inspiring space. So in 2017, I founded the Cannabis Travel Association. Um, we're an international association. That's the United Voice of Cannabis Travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm uh, the chief strategist of an organization, a company called Cultivar Brands. And we're a strategic marketing and events agency at the intersection of cannabis, hemp, and travel. So what I do is I specialize in cannabis travel and hemp travel. Um, I've participated in some of the first research that's ever been done on the cannabis travel audience and kind of what are their habits? How do they self-identify? What's the median household income? um, And what really motivates their travel decisions? How do they pick destinations based on their appetite? Um, Whether they're kind of curious or a cannabis wellness traveler or a cannabis connoisseur enthusiast. And really widening the conversation around all the different types of cannabis travelers, because as we all know, anyone that works with in, in cannabis and hemp knows how evolved and inclusive the plan is. And it's a very personal experience, whether it's somebody who's visiting it for the first time and looking for um, ways to elevate their quality of life using, you know, a CBD full spectrum tincture. Um, or whether it's, you know, somebody who wants to have a extremely meaningful, um, travel experience in a, in a set and setting, um, and kind of transport themselves and, and learn something new and, and be around a new environment and do, do something another way. Um, I also feel that spiritual health and, and mental health are very connected to cannabis as well. So it's, it's a really wide conversation and, um, and that's kind of where my work lies is in helping to be a beacon and helping in my own small way to guide uh, the normalization and the integration of hemp and cannabis travel um, in California, but also beyond. And today I work with um, seven destinations in California on cannabis travel strategy. Um, some of those are San Francisco travel, visit Mendocino um, visit Oakland and a few others. And mm-hmm. what I, what I do is I come in, me and my team come in and we really help educate. We bring the data and then we help formulate strategies, develop cannabis travel guides, um, to help integrate 
this travel trend that so many people want to experience and are curious about. Um, and we also, of course, are, are, are uh, orchestrating the first ever uh, California State Fair Cannabis Awards that are coming up this year. So we have a few th- different things we do at Cultivar Brands, but that's, that's, uh, that's, that's where my work lives today. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought it up because that was a question in waiting when I heard Cultivar Brands, I was going to ask. So what was the process like of having the conversation with the California State Fair about you know, having a blue ribbon jar of bud appear alongside <laughs> the pies and whatever else, like how did that get on the menu? Yeah, no, great question. Well, you know, cannabis got legalized in California in 2016. And then of course, adult use recreational sales started in uh, 2018. Um, so we knew that it was part of the landscape. And when you start looking at the job creation, the taxes, the economic impact, um, the number of licensed cultivators and other licenses throughout the retail and or the supply chain, you know, it's a California industry and it's a story of agriculture and it is an industry today, but there's also this really beautiful history of hemp and cannabis in California going back to um, really the missions. You know, if you go in a lot of the California missions today from the Spanish, you know, have hemp artifacts in there. Mm-hmm. And even in Sonoma County here, there was hemp being grown on the Sonoma coast back in the mid 1800s. And then of course you have the stories of cannabis where it was a significant um, resource during world war II for the sales and the ropes. Um, and then it continues on. We go through the era of prohibition, of course, the war on drugs um, and the, and let's not leave out kind of the different social movements that happened, whether it was the beatniks or the hippies or the back to the land movement, um, or the cannabis innovation of today, where we're talking about cannabis appellations like wine. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting story and a really beautiful arc. So, um, so we started discussions with the state fair literally about three or four years ago now. And when we first brought it up, you know, we knew it was going to be an educational journey. Um, the original discussions, they requested that or suggested, I should say, you know, that we look at um, indica, sativa and hybrid as our key divisions or categories. <laughs> um, so we spent literally years uh, on phone calls, sending over infographics, news articles about hemp seeds being carried in Trader Joe's, CBD products being carried in CVS and explaining how important it was to have terpene and and cannabinoid categories that really honored the basic or not even the basic the complex biological structure of a living plant in the ground you know so we weren't looking at like let's talk about just to make a comparison you know it's not these awards are not structured around wine or grapeseed oil or raisins or grape juice it's rather, rather than that, it's a celebration of the grape itself, the agricultural crop. And mm. that's the way we approach cannabis about let's really stay close to the plant and let's educate about the raw cannabis composition that exists in a, in a raw plant. So we have 10 different categories, um, seven terpene profiles, and then three acidic cannabinoids, CBDA, CBGA, the mother of all cannabinoids, and then THCA. Um, so those, and we're, we're really excited about it. It's an amazing opportunity to educate around, you know, whole plant, natural, raw medicine. 
um, and also just normalize it. And it, it is living alongside cheese and craft beer and olive oil and wine, et cetera. Um, but for the first year of the state, state fair awards, um, that's the, that's the tack we, the, the track we took, um, there was always, there was also a request from the state fair that it stays incredibly scientific, right? Lab test based. So mm. they wanted no qualified, no, uh, they wanted a quantitative approach, not qualitative, right? So they rooted in science, biology, and lab tests. Um, so there was definitely some framework put around it. And we worked with them over the course of years to get it to where it was now for the first year. Um, and we're really, really excited about it. And we plan on evolving it over the years. And the hope is that it continues to widen and unlock. And, and you know, our, our, our job is to really, I, I feel, create a platform of education that is building a bridge to a mainstream audience that, you know, quite frankly, is a little bit or even a, a lot, a lot bit um, different than high times in the Emerald Cup. You know, this, well, we hope well, there'll be, there'll be some of those enthusiasts for sure that will, that will come through. But we also felt like being the California state fair, state sanctioned awards, um, that's a celebration of California ag over 150 years old, that we really wanted to make sure we created a platform that was relatable and based in education and science and biology. And, uh, and that's kind of where it is today. And the, and the, and the submission date is by April 30th for anyone who's interested. Um, you can find our website online, all the information's there and you can submit your flower. The deadline's April 30th. So when you're talking about the quantitative approach to it as well, did you use that to make up the different categories, but then did you have a ranking inside of those categories or how did it go from there? So we worked with S. I mean, one of the first steps was finding the leading lab in the in the state of California that had one of the deepest and richest data sets that had deep, deep, deep understanding of lab based cannabis testing. And that is SC Labs. They're based out of Santa Cruz mm -hmm. and they've been working with the Emerald Cup for 16 to 20 years. And they have all this incredible data and they also have. Um, just insights around the data around like what, what, what are we seeing happen from a, from a, from a bio biological and chemical standpoint within the plant. So we looked at those lab tests. We also talked to various kind of leaders um, in the state that mm. are some of the brightest minds in cultivation to get some feedback on kind of what they recommend. You know, we also looked at all the license types that are issued in California, because of course this is, you know, this is something born out of Sacramento. So, you know, honoring the department of cannabis control and the structure that California has put in place and, you know, all those, all things considered, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how we reached this, this, uh, the categories for the first year. And we have three divisions. We have light depth, indoor and sun grown. And, uh, you know, originally we were like, do we have two different types of light depth because there's two different license types, there's type one, type two. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the decision was to make that one division. So there was definitely a lot of discussion from people, um, getting input and then working with our lab partner really closely to help craft what is the best move for year one, knowing that it ha that it's that it's going to be lab, lab based science tested, science lab tested approach. Um, and that we were going to stay away from subjective qualitative analysis this is all about quantitative.
Mm-hmm. So that that's that's why we landed where we did. And that's how we landed where we did. So did you all end up with like a highest terpene award at all or like any sort of like special awards around like different nuances that you saw in those lab results? So yes, we do. So ten, the 10 categories that are the core categories are basically based on the highest amount because we don't have a qualitative element this year. So it's like mm-hmm. we, had, we had to structure awards. And at the end of the day, we're like, okay, well, it's important we educate around all this. Um, so we had seven terpene categories, like I said, in three acidic cannabinoid categories. But we also have a co-dominant, um, co-dominant terpene award. So we, we did build that in. So we could start bringing into the conversation the concept of entourage or ensemble effect. Mm -hmm. Um, and and then as we layer on and grow in the years ahead, when we bring in the subjective and qualitative judging, we'll be able to really educate even further around personalized medicine, personalized endocannabinoid receptor maps, um, and understanding how cultivars and, and their, and their, uh, therapeutic effects, um, can vary from individual to individual. And all of these are really big conversations to tackle. Um, but for year one, we really wanted to draw out the 10 kind of key, 10 really key chemical compounds that need to be understood. Um, and then bring forward in a smart way, the co-dominant terpene discussion. So people can start wrapping their heads around, you know, it's not just more is better. And it's not just the largest terpene wins. I mean, there's some minor terpenes in there that are incredibly interesting with how they uh, modulate the the therapeutic effects depending on who's taking it and what they ate that day. So as you and I know, because we've studied this like with the Gangier and beyond, it's um it's a complex, highly evolved plant that is intelligent. And we're really just trying to take a step-by-step ed- education, especially because, you know, this is a mainstream California state fair event with, with Ferris wheels and cotton candy and, and, and all the above. Right. So. A hundred percent. And I think that's what makes it really, really interesting and really, really cool too. talking about the normalization and the education. It's just such a great opportunity. Like, it's so non-threatening to someone who may not be in this community. If it's at the state fair, it must be at least reasonably okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and quite frankly, I'm really excited to educate around acidic cannabinoids because I feel like decarboxylated cannabis products often take all the attention. Um, And there's so much more like this plant is a treasure trove of therapeutic chemical compounds from juicing the plant to looking at it as a diet, as a dietary or uh, essential to, you know, all the different, all the other different applications that nobody thinks about suppositories, for example, or transdermal patches. Mm -hmm. And, and, And there's a lot of products on dispensary shelves, retail shops and lounges that aren't necessarily activated, decarboxylated, you know, Delta nine THC. So I, I really am proud and excited to see what this yields as far as just creating awareness and education and letting people understand that, you know, we have to embrace this plant with a sense of like humility and wonder, because there's a lot to it. If we, if we do it the right way, 
you know, it can really improve people's quality of life, whether it's chronic pain or whether it's, you know, inflammation, daily inflammation maintenance, um, or whether it's something or whether it's PTSD, you know, it's got so much to it, uh, to understand and to, and to really respect. And talking about another sort of cannabis festival event, when I was at the Emerald cup harvest ball in December, you had an event also there with the cannabis trail. Did you not? I, we did. Yeah. We, uh, we actually awarded one of our cultural landmarks, um, on the main stage there on, I think it was Saturday night. Yeah. The pebbles, right? Exactly. Yeah. Pebbles trip it. Yeah. So for, so a little bit of background on that, the cannabis trail is a cultural heritage trail that really tells the story of cannabis in Northern California. Mm -hmm. So it's a nine county project that goes from Santa Cruz all the way up to Trinity County. Um, And currently we've installed two landmarks in Southern Humboldt, one in Mendocino Village on the coast. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're installing two more in Oakland, one in Berkeley, and I think three more in San Francisco this year, maybe if maybe a few more. Um, and these are about, you know, they're these beautiful landmarks that really honor the pioneers, the places and the significant moments of the cannabis legalization movement for medical cannabis. Um, so it's really the story from 19, you know, 1950 through 1996 um, is like the core of the trail. And then there's also points of interest along the way, like Hippie Hill or Dennis Perone's Castro Castle or the statue in, in San Rafael, where the term 420 was born. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of cannabis history in Northern California. And this is meant to be a cultural heritage trail that can be visited by visitors and travelers or residents that just tell the story of cannabis because it's really cool. And it's really interesting. And it's really part of the DNA of California culture. Um, the whole state but, you know, North, Northern California especially has really deep, really, really deep roots when it comes to the history of cannabis um, in this, in this, you know, in this part of the state. So that's the cannabis trail. Yeah, it's being built. And I'm really excited because three of the, uh, three of the, um, three of the locations um, that I'm currently working with, Visit Mendocino, Visit Oakland and SF Travel, um, you know, are all really excited about this. And, you know, so I think the cannabis trail is going to be hopefully built in the next two years. And it's going to be a pillar, hopefully that's recognized alongside the Napa wine road and the Marin cheese trail. And now you have the third pillar, which is the California cannabis trail. So is there a way that people can follow it like via website or app or? Absolutely. So the website is the cannabis and we are going to be launching, we're going to be launching an app, hopefully with, within the next 12 months and maybe sooner. So, but for right now, you can, you can keep, you can keep up to date on the cannabis trail, the cannabis We also have an Instagram channel um, that's called the cannabis trail. And, uh, and really we're, we kind of have hit a turning point with normalization. So this trail is starting to be built um, a little more quickly Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're really excited about it. And, and I mean, with my travel hat on, this is really turning the cannabis story into, um, a really meaningful travel experience. Um, I, I hesitate using the word attraction, but you know, the dream is for people to visit cannabis shops and lounges 
um, or really unique places like City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco and be able to look at a cannabis trail landmark and understand the story behind that landmark. You know, so one of the landmarks, for example, lives at Hippie Hill, or lives at Huckleberry Hill Farms with Johnny Casali. Mm-hmm. And, and that cultural landmark is honoring all the legacy cultivators and what those communities went through during the war on drugs. Right. And, and, and the raids that happened. And then another landmark lives on the coast um, in Mendocino. And that one honors Pebbles Trippett, who's really her life is a story. I mean, she has cannabis laws named after her. Um, that, that legalized cannabis medical transporting of your own medicine that she fought up to the Supreme Court and won. Um, and then you have, of course, Marie Mills, who opened the first hemp store in the United States, and that was in Garberville. Um, and then you, in Oakland, you have the first social equity license in the world at Bluntsonmore with Tucky. Um, and then, of course, you have Oaksterdam, the first cannabis college in the world in Oakland. So you know, all these stories are part of California's history. And the dream with the cannabis trail is that it's looked at as a piece of infrastructure that can live on for a long time and really help tell the story of California cannabis medical legalization. So someone's going along the trail and they're visiting different spots. What's your favorite hotel, resort, stay place along the trail? Mm, Good question. Good question. I would say, so I'm going to pick one favorite. There's a few, but I'd say my favorite favorite is Shelter Cove. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's the, uh, I'm blanking on the name right now. It's um, because I don't get up there enough. Anyways, I can't find, I can't find it on my Instagram while I'm on zoom, but, um, but it's the, Oh, it's, I think it's the, the lost coast Inn or something. And it's, it's out there on the lost coast. It's in, it's, uh, it's got a little pizza place. It feels like you're at the edge of the world and do the stars out there. I mean, talk about an epic setting of nature where you're just looking at white water and rocks and you're sitting there on the edge of the earth and those beautiful mountains. And then you have just all this incredible sea life. And, and then when the star, when the sun sets, it's epic. And then when the stars come out, I mean, it's just, and it's a really small kind of tucked away place. So I'd say that 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 hotel would be my favorite at this moment, um, which is just a short drive from Johnny's and Marie's cultural landmark. Out of curiosity, is that like near the Lost Coast hiking trail? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, you know, where Little Black Sand Beach is on the north side of Shelter Cove? I do it's not. Kind of- I only know the Lost Coast Trail by reputation, but I've been meaning to do it while I'm out here. So I'm sort of curious, is it like right near the beginning or end? It is. It's near the, well, it depends which way you go, but it's the, it's more of the Southern part of okay. the, of the law. And yeah. So, um, I think it's called end of the lost coast, I believe it's called. So, and I can send you a link to it, but it's highly recommend that it's, um, yeah, it's a true escape, I guess is how I would describe it. And it's really cool. So talking about like cannabis tourism and talking about people moving through States and things and the different histories that California has with cannabis, if you could wave a wand and you could change the legislation to allow something to happen, whether it be like more lounge licenses or whatever it happens to be, is there any sort of legislative change you would like to see that you feel like would let the cannabis industry be better in terms of like facilitating tourism and things? Oh man, 
That's a big question. Yeah. I mean, of course there's like, I mean, so one that's in play right now, that's actually like in motion that I hope really kind of does well and, and, and goes the, goes the distance is the cannabis catering license mm-hmm. that the cannabis, can, the cannabis travel association worked on this for about a year and we have an author and, um, I believe, yeah. So that one is, is actually in motion. Um, and that would be an amazing win for hospitality and travel because, you know, a catering license is very relatable, right. For venues, for hotels, they think of wedding catering, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So having, having a catering license would really give a familiar, very compliant tool and pathway for the travel industry to embrace this in a way that they haven't been able to. So I really hope that that ca- cannabis catering license goes through. So um, like, how would that work? Like in terms of the license itself? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it basically, it takes a slightly different approach to, it has nothing to do with retail. It's more about staging it at a private event and being able to uh, distribute it mm-hmm. and for people to consume it. And it has a couple mechanisms where it's got larger limits than the typical 28.5 grams for any consumer walking into a retail shop. So it almost creates another layer of opportunity for cannabis integration and hospitality and hotels and travel. Um, and it's really based around the, 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 it gives, it provides the capability to, um, to work with a private group to, for like, let's just say a Gangier to be able to offer a service where they can come in and they can have product to display and to be present, um, to, uh, distribute and to provide cannabis to adults 21 and up who are interested in consuming in a normalized way where it's, where it gives a clear pathway for that kind of ability. So, you know, there's a lot of work still to be done, but the, 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 we've, the, where it's, where it's reached right now is definitely a success. And I hope it continues down that path. If I was to look at other like legislation that would, I'd like to see changed. I mean, I really feel like direct to consumer sales, honestly, and direct to consumer access in general, for not even just cultivators, but like manufacturers and, and, and plant-based alchemists and, you know, people to be able to share their craft and story mm-hmm. with, with consumers is really important. You 100%. Know? Well, and it would also allow for like online sales in a completely different way as well. You can just go to the website of whatever manufacturer it is and just, like you said, order it directly from them. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, and I, I mean, I think that that resonates with me too, because, and it could be because I work in cannabis travel. So I'm close to, you know, the plant and the way that it, the when, what it offers and what it stands for. And you see the passion of the people that produce this. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, and I believe that, I mean, and there's, this isn't, this isn't a new concept. I mean, people talk about home cooked meals or, or making things with love. I mean, and I think cannabis is such an intuitive plant that even though we can't measure it as humans, there's some kind of quantifiable um, or even qualitative both. Oh, also it's good for craft places too, being able to sell directly to consumer. Craft beer places do it. Bourbon distilleries are allowed to sell directly in their gift shop. Like I don't see why it's such a big jump for cannabis either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hope it gets there sooner than later. Yeah, because education is paramount. I mean, 
again, it comes back to just the complexity in a great way, the extraordinary abilities of cannabis and having people with great knowledge be able to share their story and their craft is important. And the different types of cultivars. I mean, I still have conversations where everybody thinks every cultivar is 17 to 35% or whatever. And it's like, you know, I feel like Harlequin and Canisu and even ACDC, like they just don't, people don't understand the complexities around the cultivars available, the spectrum of cultivars available, of, of medicines, of, of products available. So getting the information out is really important. And also we have this amazing opportunity, but also the complexity around maintaining the conversation of cannabis as a medical application versus adult use recreational. And of course, that immense space in the middle that is wellness and well and being well and well-being where cannabis really, I think, to the point of the plant itself, like promoting homeostasis and balance in the body, it kind of exists in that area, that very wide middle ground area of well-being and wellness. And, you know, and it just depends. It really depends on what what time you're alive in of how you define medical. I mean, I always go back to the AIDS epidemic where cannabis as an appetite stimulant was a form of medicine on the front lines of one of the worst, most horrific epidemics that we've ever seen that was killing people because they couldn't eat. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what used to be the munchies (laughs) became something that was a medical application. So, you know, it's, and then, and then what's the version of today and how do we keep all those different realities present and known about and, and, and communicated out. And I think that's where a lot of the importance too is, is yet I think, you know, obviously direct to consumer sales would be amazing as soon as possible, but also just having great funnels of communication and education for consumers and working extremely closely with retailers and events and lounges and delivery services to be using the right kind of, uh, lexicon and, and, and words and concepts and methods to be able to educate and, and, and support, you know, new consumers that need to understand how to engage with this plant. Exactly. And it's, I think that's what makes cannabis so interesting too. Like we're talking about educating people about normalizing it, but it's an odd reverse direction because we've been taught so much in terms of like how we perceive our agriculture that only a select few repeatable things are considered like valuable products and cannabis comes in in the opposite direction in a weird way and blows that aside by saying Mm -hmm. no there are these infinite variations in the genetics that produce different results in human beings whereas and i think like a good example of this is like apples there used to be way more varieties of heirloom apples And now it's really hard to find them. It's interesting that we're having this conversation about cannabis education and the nuances with it because it runs against everything that we're taught in every other part of our education with plants, right? At least that we consume in the supermarket. Well, totally, especially people that are probably, I think I'm a little older than you, but that are you're in my age Mm -hmm. because we grew up in such an era of kind of supply chain built industrialized food, right? So it's, it's, we live in an interesting time for this conversation because, and I mm-hmm. hear you loud and clear about apples and heirloom vari- varieties and losing those. And for the, for the sake of what, for shelf life, 
for mm-hmm. consist for consistency on the shelf. Like, and I think that's why cannabis is really cool. So is hemp. All of it's well, same plant, right? It's just different different cultivar, really. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's a really it opens up these really important conversations of you know what does it mean to embrace you know uh, variety. And should there be space made for that? And I think most people would say enthusiastically and logically, yeah, of course. Like if, 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 if there's a, if there's seeds that produce a certain kind of food um, or medicine, they probably exist for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they probably are in existence in the world for a reason. And yeah, so I, I hear you. I mean, it is a big conversation and that's why, you know, these concepts of personalized medicine and, and uh, personalized, unique uh, endocannabinoid receptor maps, knowing that your body's different than anyone else's and you, and there's a responsibility there for you to know how you feel and know how the cultivar and the application, the method of ingestion, um, the chemical composition of the plant, how is it working for what your needs are? Is it sleep? Is it relaxation? Are you using it for, for creative pursuits? Mm -hmm. um, are using it for, you know, something else, pain relief. And I also think it's interesting because it really breeds the notion of being intentional and being mindful about why you're consuming it. So it creates this really nice kind of thoughtful, uh, ritual with cannabis, which I think is important too, because you have to be in communication with your body and be setting intention. And, and I, and I believe in all that. And I think it's important to include all that and to, celebrate all that, including the genetic diversity. So yeah, man, totally on the same page. I agree with you. Well, and especially in terms of that intentionality, like really looking at how you're reacting and what the plant's doing and then how you're reacting to that, because you are always constantly in flux. Like as a human being with an endocannabinoid system, every time you also consume, you also alter that state. So it's about trying to maintain that balance, right? And I think that's what I appreciate about what you're doing with the State Fair and with the Emerald Cup and other places is trying to expose people to these different concepts, but in a way that's not scary, right? That people can understand who may not be in this. I think you hit it on the head. I hope I'm doing what you said. I'm trying. I feel like making things relatable for new a new mainstream audience that so they don't find it scary and leaning into facts and fact-based education and data um mm-hmm. and, and research is really important you know just letting people understand the what their toolkit is and creating a space where they can ask questions about it um being able to point i mean in travel a lot of times i'm working with destinations of you know, striking the balance between all the different cannabis assets in their destination, the retail shops, the lounges and beyond, like who are the brands that are being innovated there, um, cultural heritage sites, but also where can a visitor go? Who's a cannabis newbie who's in their eighties that wants to have a personal experience and have a really patient bud tender or cannabis consultant or gongier walk them through you know, and if you can get somebody to a place where they feel comfortable trying one milligram or a tincture that is, you know, raw plant medicine in a jar, full spectrum, beautifully sun grown with, mm-hmm. regener- with regenerative practices and understanding what that means, those kind of concepts are really important. And those are all ideas that come through with cannabis and hemp, you know, making that space for, be- for being relatable 
um, and and not scary is I think really important. And 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 that's just one part of this massive conversation, right? Like there's the the plant is so complex, hemp and cannabis, that there's so many different conversations to tackle, which is why it's so challenging but exciting, right? So relatability, absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, like we're talking about in the public way, also in terms of legislatures, because I know that legislators and some representatives also do have trepidation and certain fears about interacting with this. So bringing in something like the state fair where you're exposing, you know, state officials, government officials, I don't exactly want to say people on the inside, but like access to a new group of people who may not be as familiar in an important way too, and showing them that there's not as much of a need to fear it as there is understand it. No, hundred percent. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it serves that role. And we're hoping that we have quite a bit of traffic from anyone who's interested in learning more about the cannabis plant in the ground and what that plant represents and stands for today. In today's legal California landscape, you know, a significant industry with massive growth, growth potential. And a lot of brilliant minds are in California too, of innovators and pioneers of all kinds, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. assets in, in this state around this industry. So understanding the plant's full potential or even just a part of that full potential is vital. And just like, dude, anything that comes out of prohibition, there's a huge lift for the first 10 years at least of just getting the conversation current and factual. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's hopefully the state fair will be another step in that direction. So before I let you go, do you have any other projects you want to talk about or things that like you're personally working on or? None, I guess, I, I mean, the only other thing I'd mention that, um, that I've been working on for years that it's really exciting to see come to life in travel is the notion of effect pairing cannabis which is a method that I've kind of woven in to make relatable for people because people always talk about how wine pairs with food or cheese. And the concept of effect pairing is, you know, as wine pairs with food, cannabis pairs with experiences and activities, you know, and then I, and then really in the travel world, when you serve a visitor in the future to California and they want to have a cannabis experience, um, whether it's in Humboldt or San Francisco or greater Palm Springs region, you know, asking them what their itinerary is and mm-hmm. helping them understand which types of products and cultivars and terpene profiles can perhaps support um, a set and setting that they're going to, whether it's live music or maybe they're going to go to a to kind of a cannabis beverage painting class, like a like the instead of a wine and painting class, it's going to be a cannabis version of that or a puff and paint. Mm-hmm. And and what kind of cultivar is complementary to the environment that they're going to be walking into? A really easy example of this that I think is relatable, back to that word again, is my my belief is that, you know, what used to be the munchies with Cheech and Chong became a frontline medicine during the AIDS ep- epidemic to stimulate appetite and save lives. And the new version of that, which doesn't discount the other two, but the new version of that in today's travel world is cannabis as a as the new vermouth as a precursor to a Michelin star meal to mm-hmm. to bring out to bring out the aroma and the flavor and the texture of the food 
in a way that is enhanced. And I like this idea of effect pairing too, like you're talking about, because I think it lends a lot of idea or a lot of credence to the idea that cannabis isn't just about sitting in cannabis. Cannabis is a complement to so many things. It is. It just needs to be taken mindfully. People need the knowledge and they need to have the safe space to interact at their own, at their own, at their own kind of appetite. Um, and I think that's the the challenge and the opportunity um, is to be able to create those spaces. And of course, my focus is all around the visitor economy. And what is that customer journey from arrival at the airport to departure at the airport? And does it feel normalized from hotel to retail shop to cannabis lounge to going on a hike in the Redwoods? And how do they all thread together to really make one cohesive experience that really is an expression of the sense of place in a really authentic way that is sustainable for the community and really adds to the community. Thank you for stopping by, Brian, and for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Elijah. You have a great Sunday evening. Thanks, man.